growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Is He risen indeed? It is not an exaggeration to say that all of Christianity hinges on that question. When it comes to the three factors to determining the value of a piece of property, the adage in real estate is location, location, location. Those words are certainly true when it comes to a piece of real estate known as the empty tomb. There actually is a significant amount of hard empirical evidence to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to this special Easter edition of Crosswalk. We're in week three of the series entitled, The Experience. And as you might guess, on Easter Sunday, we're experiencing the empty tomb. I said a moment ago that the three most important words for determining the value of a piece of property are location, location, location. And although, in the case of the empty tomb, I'm not referring to the location of the tomb itself, but rather the location of the body that was inside of it. The cross was the place where Jesus wrote the check to pay for our sins, and the empty tomb was the proof that the check cleared. As we looked last week at the cross, Pastor Clay explained why without the cross, our sins cannot be forgiven. And as we'll hear today, without the empty tomb, none of what we believe matters. But is there another explanation to what happened in the tomb? Critics have been trying to explain the resurrection away for years. But as you'll hear Pastor Clay explain today, our faith in the resurrection is actually the most rational explanation for the empty tomb. In the early part of the 20th century, a communist leader by the name of uh, Nikolai Bukharev was sent from Moscow to Kiev to uh, conduct an anti-God rally. Uh, as the story goes, he got up there and ranted and raved and ridiculed and, and made fun of Christianity for at least an hour. When he finished, he said that he would receive questions. An Orthodox priest stood to his feet and asked to be able to speak. He was granted permission, and he turned around, and he faced the people, and he simply said, He is risen! And immediately, all the people gathered there, rose to their feet, and responded, He is risen indeed. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the question that we want to examine this morning. Is He risen indeed? It is not an exaggeration to say that all of Christianity hinges on that question. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead as the Bible claims that he did, if he did not come back to life, if, if this life is all there is, however, you know, 70, 80 years at best or 90, whatever it is, if this is all there is and all of this is nonsense, then, then what in the world are we doing here today? Let's go home. Truly, let's go home if this is not true. The philosopher C.E.M. Jode was asked one time, if you could interview one person in all of history, who would that one person be? And if you could only ask them one question, what question would you ask them? Jode said he would choose to interview Jesus Christ. And the one question that he would choose to ask him above every other question was this, did you 
or did you not rise from the dead? That is, ladies and gentlemen, the $64 million question. If you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I I don't know about this. I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing or, come on, this whole resurrection coming back to life and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure. All we're asking you today is to consider what I'm going to share with you this morning. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus is, is a faith act. We know that that's true. But you may be surprised to learn today that that does not mean that it is a check your brains at the door kind of faith. That there actually is a significant amount of hard empirical evidence to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, We're going to look this morning at Matthew chapter 28. If you brought a copy of God's Word with you, I encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 20 this morning, but we're we're not going to read it all in its entirety at the beginning, as we often do. Instead, I'm going to kind of read it as we walk through it this morning. And I want to share with you Three statements. I'm going to make three statements, and then I want to talk about those three statements. But I want to say this to you again. It is not an exaggeration to say that all of Christianity hinges on this one question. That was the question for the early church, and that's still the question today. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 these words. If in this life only... We hope in Christ. In other words, if, if there's no afterlife, there's no, if it's just about this life and following Jesus, we are the most miserable of all men. In other words, if this is it, let's go home. We, we can still beat the Methodists to the restaurant. The Masters is on this afternoon. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 20. Three statements I want to share with you. Statement number one this morning looks like this. Eternal life was an old promise. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, And his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. One of the arguments by those who do not believe in Christianity, they they take no stock in it, this whole Jesus thing and and rising from the dead, they, they give no merit to it. One of the arguments that they give is that this idea of eternal life, this idea of, of, of a resurrection was a later invention of the church, that Jesus was a good man and you know, he, he, he preached to peace and love and doing to others as you would have them do unto you. And that was fine. And that was great. But that uh, he got caught in this tug of war uh, with the religious leaders of his day. And before he could kind of solidify his base of support, he got himself killed. End of story. 
rising from the dead. That was a, a later invention of his disciples because some of his disciples just did, they didn't want that to be the end of the story. And, and so they just kind of came up with this idea to, to start a new worldwide religion and by claiming that their leader who had been killed actually rose from the dead and, and now we could, we could follow him instead. I'll have more to say about the disciples in just a few minutes. But ladies and gentlemen, this idea that it was a later invention of the church is simply not historically accurate. Jesus, as a matter of fact, had been, apparently had been telling people for quite some time that this, that this was going to happen, that he was going to get killed and that he was going to rise again from the dead. Matthew chapter 16, we find this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Matthew chapter 17. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Matthew chapter 20. And he will... and and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, I want you all to say it with me. He will be raised up. Matthew chapter 26. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. This was not, this was not something new. Jesus had been making this claim all along. Hello, McFly. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. But I have no intention of staying dead. No, this, this, was, this was an old promise. But how about even older than the time of Jesus? Psalm 16, a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Psalm 16 verse 10 says this, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. How about if we go farther back than that? How about to the book of Job, the, the book that many uh, Bible scholars consider the earliest written book of the Bible, a contemporary of Abraham, Job chapter 19. But as for me, <laughs> this is awesome. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand upon the earth at the last. And after my body has decayed, watch this, after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Listen, the the, the promise of eternal life, the idea of, of resurrection, of a body coming back to life, it is, it is, it is spectacular. It is stupendous. It is fantastic, but it is not new. The Old Testament prophets had been predicting it. Jesus said it over and over and over again. This was old news, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, you may be here today thinking, well, yeah, but I I just don't, I don't know about this. I don't know whether I believe that. I mean, that's, that's kind of like, you know, impossible. All I'm asking you to do is examine the evidence, which brings us to the second statement this morning. Eternal life is not an old wives' tale. It was old news, but it is not an old wives' tale. Let me uh, continue on in verse 7. Go quickly. The, the, The women have gone to the tomb. They've met the angel. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly, 
with fear and great joy. And I think we can understand why they'd have both of those feelings. And they ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story has been widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. I don't know if I said this earlier or not, but most people do not have a problem with the idea of the death of Jesus Christ. The the existence of a Jesus of Nazareth in the area known as Palestine in the first century is an established historical fact. Uh, only, only those that would, that would choose to believe nothing about history or who would choose to completely ignore any historical evidence could even possibly argue with the fact that a Jesus of Nazareth existed, that he lived, that he gathered a following, and that he was put to death by crucifixion by the Romans outside of the city of Jerusalem in the first century. It's an established fact. It is what Christians claimed happened after that that people have a problem with. It is what we say happened three days later that you may have a problem with. Because what we claim is that Jesus Christ bodily, physically, literally rose from the dead. He came back to life. Now, when considering this claim, and it is, it is admittedly a bold claim, but when considering this claim, there are really realistically, only four options as to what happened to the body, because that's really the question. Apparently, nobody at that time was questioning whether the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled back. The disciples, some of the disciples had seen that the tomb was empty. The Roman soldiers knew that the tomb was empty. And one thing's for sure, if the religious leaders wanted to to stop this whole Jesus movement, right? Because the, they, they don't want this. If the religious leaders want to stop this Jesus movement, there's a simple solution for this. What is it? Just present the body. If the body's still in the tomb, all you got to do is get the body and say, hey, hey, don't listen to those guys. Here he is, dead. That's all they had to do. The tomb was empty. So the question is, what happened to the body? As I said, Realistically, I think there are only four options. The first one, the religious leaders took the body. Now, it's just kind of hitting on all this, but, the, that, but I guess you'd have to assume that's a, that that is an option. Well, maybe the religious leaders took the body. They would have had the authority to do so. They're the ones who, who had him killed. They're the ones who uh, had asked Pilate to put guards in front of the tomb because they were, they were afraid of this whole, because Jesus had been claiming he's going to rise from the dead. I think it's ironic. His disciples seemed to miss that every time he said it, but the religious leaders knew he'd said it. Now, they didn't believe it was going to happen, but they were afraid that something might happen. So they put soldiers in front of the 
the tomb to guard it. So, so maybe an option is that the religious leaders took the body. Well, no. The truth is they have no motive. They're the last ones that want to see this whole Jesus movement started. Remember, they're trying, to, they're trying to squelch this thing. They're trying to put an end to this whole movement that Jesus had started. That's why they put him to death, folks. Cut off the head and, the, and everything usually falls apart. So Jesus is the leader of this thing. We take him out and this whole Jesus movement thing is over. So they're the last ones who would want to take the body. They want him dead and they want him to stay dead and they want him in that tomb. They have no motive. The second option, the one that we're going to spend a little more time with, Jesus was not really dead, and he walked out of the tomb. Now, I know to some of us in here that may seem like a ridiculous uh, scenario, but that has, I've spoken about this before, that has been offered as an explanation to what happened to the body. It is what is known as the swoon theory. This is not new. It's a theory that, that somebody came up with a long time ago, the swoon theory. The theory is Jesus didn't really die. Sure, it looked like he was dead, but he, he, you know, he didn't really die. He just swooned or passed out on the cross. They took him down. They took him into the tomb, and maybe it was the coolness of the tomb. Maybe well, For whatever reason, but he, he revived in the tomb. He got up, rolled the stone out of the way, which uh, engineers, as I understand it, some engineers have uh, figured that that stone weighed somewhere between a ton and a half to two tons. Rolled the stone out of the way. And, and walked out. It's the, it's the swoon theory. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't die. He, he, just, he just passed out. And then he woke up and got up and went out. Well, is, is this really, I mean, a viable option? I mean, really? That's, that's what you can come up with? That's what happened to the, he just didn't really die no, the truth is, the idea that, that Jesus woke up and rose up uh, rose from the grave, it's, it's really just not a rational explanation. And you might be saying, oh, yeah, and a dead guy coming back to life after three days, that's rational? No, it's not rational if there's not a God. But if there is a God, if there is a God, then what I say to you is the supernatural event of the resurrection of a body from the dead is actually the most rational explanation for what happened. But let's, let's talk about this. Did he die? Let me let you read a, a quote from uh, Dr. Davis. He's a, a medical doctor who has studied extensively uh, death by crucifixion. Here's what Dr. C. Truman Davis said. An escape of watery fluid from the sack surrounding the heart. Remember, the Roman soldiers wanted to make sure he was dead, and they thrust a spear into his side, and the text says that water and blood, that's very significant, water and blood came out. Here's what Dr. Davis says about that. An escape of watery fluid from the sack surrounding the heart. We therefore have rather conclusive post-mortem. Evidence that Christ died, not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, which is how they would usually die on the cross, but of heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid in the pericardium. Did I say that right? I practiced. <laughs> That's in Dr. Truman, Dr. Davis's book, A Physician's View of the Crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Translation of Dr. Davis's statement, he was dead. How about this? Maybe, maybe y'all have heard of a, a little publication known as uh, the, journal of, the, the American Journal of Medical... Well, whatever the name of that journal is, says this. 
Modern medical interpretation of the historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead when taken down from the cross. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with the modern with modern medical knowledge. Journal of the American Medical Association. Clearly, I didn't practice that one. The listen, folks, listen. This is not this is not three piece suit wearing, uh, handkerchief waving. Uh, sweat flying, uh, stomping, yelling preachers claiming this. These are medical doctors. This is the prestigious journal of the American Medical Association. And they're all saying the same thing. Jesus was dead. So stop this nonsense about, well, maybe, maybe he didn't really know. No, he was dead. So the possibility that he didn't really die and he got up and walked out on, on his own doesn't fit the facts. It just doesn't line up with the facts. The historical, empirical facts. A third, this is the third option. Jesus' disciples stole his body. Well, maybe, that, maybe that's it. Now, remember, this, we just read this a moment ago. This is the claim that, that the religious leaders made. The disciples stole his body. And as the, Matthew says in the text, that's been the story that was, was told to the Jews to try and explain what happened to Jesus. The disciples stole the body. Well, listen, here's the problem with that. The disciples have got no motivation to do that either. They really don't. Because what we're saying is, by their own admission, by their own admission, they, they were scattered, they were running in fear, they were hiding from the religious leaders because if they killed Jesus, they sure knew that they'd be willing to kill them. So they're hiding in fear. But somehow they mustered the, uh, the courage to get their act together. They meet together and they come up with this idea and they say, hey, hey, let's start an, a new worldwide movement and we'll, we'll claim that Jesus rose from the dead and, uh, and, and then we'll, you know, everything will be great. This is, this is great. We'll be able to start a, a Robert Tilton type television ministry and, and, and we'll be able to tell people to send in their $20 seed faith and we'll send them an a, a anointed prayer cloth and, and we're going to get rich and live in a mansion in Texas. Come on. Really? No. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I'll, there's a lot of information here, but I'll just try and give you the, the juxt of it. James, the holy apostle of Christ and brother of John, was beheaded. Thomas was slain with a dart in India. Simon was crucified in a city of Egypt. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Mark was drawn with ropes and then thrown into the fire and burnt. Bartholomew, after diverse persecutions, meaning he was tortured, was beaten down with clubs and then crucified and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was run through with a spear. Philip was crucified and then stoned to death. James, the brother of our Lord, was smote, beat on the head, and killed. Peter was crucified, and as the story goes within the context, the historical context of the church, it's not in Scripture, but what is recorded is that Peter chose to be crucified upside down because he did not believe himself worthy to die in the same manner that his Savior was. Paul, Fox says, gave his neck to the sword. Oh yeah, let's start a new worldwide religion. We're going to all end up uh, uh, persecuted and in prison and or killed for our faith. 
Let's go for it. They've got no motive, ladies and gentlemen. They have no motive. And let me, let me give you a, a couple quotes. Again, again, in case you think this is the rantings of some preacher who has heard this all his life, and so he just, he just believes this, this stuff. Let me give you some stuff, some quotes here. Uh, I have been for many years... I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh, watch this word, the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer. In other words, somebody is actually open to looking and examining the evidence than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Dr. Thomas Arnold, professor, Oxford University. How about this one? Brooke Foss Westcott, English scholar, professor, Cambridge University. Taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident. Now listen to this. There is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Both of those men are saying essentially the same thing, that the most verifiable event in all of history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I was y'all, I'd say, wow. If all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable, according to canons of historical research, to conclude that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter, and no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources, epigraphy, or archaeology that would disprove this statement. Paul Meyer, professor of ancient history, Western Michigan University. And then I think one more from Simon Greenleaf, who is a royal professor, was royal professor of law at Harvard University. According to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact, notice these words these men are using, for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Now, folks, if you're here and you say, well, I, I, I just, I don't know if I believe it. I, I, you, can, you can say that you just don't want to believe it, but you can't say you don't believe it because there's no evidence to support it. It's the validity of the resurrection. That only leaves one more possibility. The resurrection is true. The religious leaders had no motive. The disciples had neither the motive nor really the capabilities to steal his body. By the way, I didn't mention this, but one other reason why I don't believe the disciples would have stolen the body, they were Jews. And it was Passover, the most sacred time in the life of of a Jew, of a Jewish person of Jewish faith and descent. Passover. And to touch a dead body, according to Levitical law, would have made them ceremonially unclean. And no self-respecting Jew would ever be found ceremonially unclean during the time of Passover. The disciples had no motive. Jesus sure didn't just get up and walk out on his own. That only leaves one more possibility. The resurrection is true. Again, you can say, well, I, I, just, I just don't want to believe it. Fine, that is your choice to make. But please don't say there's no evidence to support this claim. Now, let me give you one other statement. I've got to close here kind of quickly. Eternal life will not be old news. It was an old promise. It was, is not an old wives' tale, and it will not be old news. Verse 16 
says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Well, you can understand that. Is it really, is it true? Can I touch him? Is it, is it really true? Verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the promise that the church has been built on, the promise of the empty tomb. And followers of Jesus have been going ever since Jesus gave that command. They've been proclaiming this message, and it is news that simply will not grow old. In some respects, Jesus is talked about as much now as he ever was. When The Passion of the Christ, the film The Passion of the Christ, came out a few years ago, it was one of the highest grossing films of all time. Sometimes you hear celebrities use Jesus' name in, in some way to support some view that they have, right or wrong or whatever. Do you know why, in some respects, this is, this is news that just won't go away? Because this is good news, ladies and gentlemen. This is really good news. Because this means that you and I, being created in the image of God, have this, this promise that when we receive God's redemption provided by His Son on the cross... We have the promise of eternal life. Jesus, Dave Helfer, our student pastor, was praying for me earlier this morning. And I love one of the things he said in his prayer. He said the cross was the place where Jesus wrote the check to pay for our sins. And the empty tomb was the proof that the check cleared. It's the glorious good news that will not grow old. That's, that, can I tell you? That's why this church exists. That's why this church reaches out. That's why this church sends teams of people Everywhere God will allow us, all over the world. Because until the world knows what happened that Sunday morning outside of Jerusalem, in that tomb, then they have no hope. And you and I, who are followers of Jesus, are charged to deliver that good news. I don't know what you think about this. If you're a believer, if you've already trusted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, then you can walk out of here. And the next time you, you have a conversation with a coworker or a student, fellow student or a, a friend, and they say, well, I just don't know how you can believe in that whole, you know, rise from the dead kind of stuff and Jesus and all that kind of stuff, you can look them straight in the face with all sincerity and say, I don't know how you can't. And if you're here and you've not trusted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you're, not, you're just looking at this and maybe you've said, well, I've never even heard this kind of stuff before. And all I ask is that at the very least, you would consider the claims of Christ on your life. Because if this is true, if this is true, then Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, he is God. And if he is God, ladies and gentlemen, then you need to know what he did for you. Thanks, Pastor. As you heard today, the importance of the resurrection for Christianity is obvious. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then our hope is in vain. Evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is strong. If you're already a believer in Christ, then today's message should give you the confidence to share your faith with others. If you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ and thought of yourself as a skeptic, then today's message should be a challenge to you to consider the claims of Christ and what His death and resurrection mean to you. 
We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.